Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insight Podcast, uh, episode 23. We are on episode 23. We are on episode 23. Yep. Um, thank you again to our uh, sponsors, Brand Boulevard. My name's Brandon Curry. I'm Jeff Collins. I'm Trevor Lindy. And Jacqueline's behind the computer again. Hi, Jacqueline. Uh, just, uh, just say <laughs> hey. Yeah, hi. Um, and, of course, we are down a lawyer. We are down a lawyer because he's doing lawyer stuff right he's now. Billing. But, yeah, he's billing. He's I'm sure billing. he's billing somebody billing a lot of money right now. Uh, <laughs> got Josh a couple Bond, bills on my desk uh, from he'll him. He'll be joining us in a couple of episodes, but he uh, double-booked himself. Um, anyway, we have uh, two guests uh, with us today. Yeah, uh, one with us Yes. remotely. and Well, yeah, one's dialing in, and one is actually with us. Uh, Ashif Kassam, yep. the Wealth Sales Director for Sun Life Global Investments Canada, and Michelle Conley on uh, Colin, I guess. Yeah, is, Colin. Here, yep. I'll put the microphone oh, okay, more perfect. in the middle of the room. Uh, Director of Wealth and Estate Planning at SLGI. Hi, everyone. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear us okay, Michelle? No problem? Absolutely. Thanks very much for, uh, for calling and dialing in and taking the time out of your busy day. And uh, Ashif, you, you, you got your uh, Brand Boulevard little gift, and I got did. one from Michelle as well. Yeah, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Lovely little uh, leather notebook. Leather notebook. Very nice for writing stuff. In, and <laughs> take writing, lots of notes. Uh, take uh, lots yeah. of notes, yes, because what we're about to talk about is the importance of having a will, and also there is a, a form uh, that we're also going to guide our listeners through that a lot of people don't know actually exists uh, for an executor to fill out. Uh, so the first thing, Michelle, this question is going to be directed towards you. Um, okay. Uh, what, what ends up happening if someone dies without a will? Um, that's a great question. So when you look at as advisors or in terms of Unter residents of Ontario, there's various pieces of legislation that oversees any particular planning. And when you talk about succession law, which the Ontario... Um, has the Succession Law Reform Act. It oversees where a resident of Ontario has died without a will, and the term is called intestate, and it guides the process in terms of what happens to those that individual's assets, what happens in terms of applying for process or for administration perspective. And so basically it comes down to the laws of Ontario will dictate and outline what will happen to that person's estate if they die without a will. And Michelle, just based on, because I've just taken the CLU and the CFP courses for, um, um, uh, through Advocates, and um, I mean, it varies per province, does it not? Oh, absolutely. So, um, that's a great point. So when you look at um, various pieces of legislation that we as advisors have to consider when we're um, talking with clients, Succession law is determined at the provincial and territorial level, and that brings to mind that when you are working with a particular client, residency, or if perhaps they move or have assets in another province or territory, that the laws of succession of that respective jurisdiction should be taken into account. So it'd be, it'd be fair to say then that if you have property in another province or jurisdiction, that you should have a will for that particular province as well. Otherwise, you're at the beck and call, right? Absolutely. Now, would I go so far as to say that you need another will? So, for example, if you have an individual that living uh, in the Niagara region, 
that has a vacation property in Manitoba. What should be considered and looked upon, you know, on a uh, repeated basis is would the laws of succession that are appropriate in Manitoba, would they accept the Ontario will, reseal it, or it's also different if a resident of Niagara has a home, let's say, in Mont-Tremblant, which is Quebec. Right. And Quebec right. is a civil code jurisdiction. It right. is not right. a common law jurisdiction. No, no. So would they would a will that was drafted and it's in place for Ontario um, be viewed as relevant in Quebec? The answer is no. And then looking upon again in Niagara, if we have clients that say are snowbirds or go to ski in Elkettville and that they have property in the U.S., it's a yes, no. It's up in the air. Well, then, and then on top of that, that opens up another can of worms, which we briefly chatted about another episode, U.S. Citus laws, but that's a, that's a tax thing, and you can go down a, a rabbit hole for that. Um, it's tax. It's succession law. It's uh, in terms of well-transferred legislation. You're right. Like, in terms of there's a lot of legislation that advisors and also in terms of clients that have real property outside of Ontario should consider when they're looking at their wealth transfer planning. So, I mean, this just will, this will go into another episode that we will be recording after this, the importance of having a financial plan and listening to your advisors and what they actually want to do. Right. right? And, and the reason why we do what we do is because of the tax implications of, of having it. Now, Ashif, you mentioned that there's also, well, I mean, I know about it, but I want to yeah, yeah. kind of put this over to you. You, you get named to be an executor. Yeah. And what used to be an honor is now kind of one of those, what did I do to you while I was alive to make you because of the laws that have been put into place around executors. Right. So can you walk me through or walk our listeners through the form that you're about to describe? Yeah. And then also um, the roles and responsibilities. And, and they're quite, subst- it's quite substantial. Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole, you know, being appointed an executor, uh, you, you basically are responsible for filing for probate on behalf of an estate. Um, a lot of individuals actually don't even know that they've been appointed, so they tend to find out when mom and dad have passed away um, that they now have to, you know, they have to settle their parents' estate. Uh, prior to 2015, the way the, uh, the way the process worked, you know, we can call it the honor system where an executor would high list all of the assets that a deceased owned prior to death, um, came up with values, uh, paid your probate fee or your probate tax, uh, got a clearance certificate, and you were good to go. Uh, Post-2015, a new document, it's called the Estate Information Return. Um, It was launched um, in 2015 by the government at that time. Um, And really what it does, it actually gets the executor to uh, properly document and evaluate all of the assets that a deceased owns. So you can no longer guesstimate the value of assets. Uh, You have to get proper appraisals done. Um, all of the uh, on all of the assets, and so it is a seven-page document. Uh, it goes through real estate. It goes through uh, it goes through uh, vehicles and vessels, bank accounts, GICs. Uh, talks about uh, gifting as well. It, it actually talks to you know various things like artwork, jewelry, antiques. Uh, all of these items have to be listed on the new document and have to actually be properly appraised. Now, the role of the executor gets much more onerous in that the estates or the uh, 
the Ontario government has up to four years to go back and audit that estate. So if there's any misrepresentation on the document, the executor is personally responsible for any, undo, any taxes that are owed. So it becomes that much more complicated. So give us an example, like, okay, so what would be considered to be, like, and Jeff goes through this all the time with capital gains and, and rental properties, right? Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what constitutes a good appraisal? Like, is it someone like me calling up a, a, a realtor to appraise a cottage? Yeah. Would that be fine? Or do I need to go through a chartered accountant or an appraisal agency? Yeah, is it a bank appraisal? Is it a bank market like evaluation? What, like what market is it? evaluation appraisal? Yeah, so um, it would be a, pro a professional in that field, right? So if you're going to, if it's jewelry or artwork, uh, somebody that actually is qualified mm -hmm. to appraise uh, that item or the items uh, that are that are counted for, uh, you could use potentially a real estate agent to evaluate the pro a, a property if that's something that has to go through probate. Uh, it's just got to be documented by a professional, uh, uh, evaluated by a professional and documented so that if the uh, estate gets audited, the uh, the executor has all the information properly at hand and documented. Um, um, Ash, do you mind if I jump in on that one? Yeah, absolutely. yeah go ahead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So from a, a practical perspective, and Ash discussed real estate, and let's talk about real estate. Um, from my public practice days, once again, go back. We know that we have multiple legislation to consider. But in the past, let's say a widow, widower passed away, um, in, had a principal residence, Often their executor, who more times than not was a child, would take and report the impact right, right. valuation right, which right. And, yeah. and report it on the terminal tax return, the final tax return, and say, all right, according to impact, this is the value. It's a principal residence. It's exempt from tax. And then, you know, going through the estate process, um, you know, in terms of cleaning the house or in terms of taking family mementos, et cetera, like that, six or seven months later, the house was sold. And, you know, in particular real estate, like Niagara, in terms of Toronto, you know, the Golden Horseshoe, more often than not, that house was sold for a lot more than the impact value. Mm -hmm. And in that particular instance, recognize that the principal resident exemption stops at the date of death, unless it's inherited by an individual, and they are not using the principal resident exemption. So let's say impact says mom's house is worth $450,000. All right, so all gains up to $450,000 are sheltered using the principal resident exemption. Let's say six months later, the house, in fact, is sold for $500,000. That differential of $50,000 is actually capital gain. To the estate. To the estate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Correct. So going back and highlighting, getting, you know, everybody says, oh, I'm just going to make it deep, you know, keep things simple. You can't keep things simple anymore. You actually have to dot your I's and cross your T's. Right, right. And as Ash alluded to, go and get one, possibly two real estate valuations on that house and demonstrate that you have undertaken good judgment to get a proper valuation such that if the Ministry of Finance, who is now overseeing the administration of estates here in Ontario, mm -hmm. that you have taken all manner of good steps um, and that you have those two valuations, that you're, the executors, in fact, covering themselves. 
Yeah, that's an example I use often because most people don't want to pay a lot of tax, right? And so um, on real estate... <laughs> that's <laughs> well, a shocker. Yeah, and, and, and on real estate, you know, that's that's the biggest probably asset that individuals own, right? Or the, the most uh, high the valued asset. And so, you know, we want to, you know, a lot of people will use the impact to lowball the number, but, you know, under the new process, if that estate got audited, uh, the executor's personally responsible for paying any of the undue, uh, any taxes that are owed based on the fact that they filed um, on behalf of that estate. Well, and it's something also, and Michelle, you could chime in here too. I mean, like, and, and Jeff as well, because we know uh, in 2015, it basically the property blitz hit us like a ton of bricks here. Right. We yeah. grew by 30% in one year. 16, so, 2016. Sorry, 2016. Beg yeah, your pardon. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got my, I got my year wrong. So basically, when you when you have this that that happens, if your parents pass away in that particular year, and it takes you several months to possibly several years to sell that property, depending yeah. on what it is, we have to also remember too the estate qualifies in the first three years as the graduated a graduated rated estate. So you you're actually treated it's treated as like a, a trust, but it's it's, it's graduated, just like how we get taxed at graduated levels. But mm-hmm. after three years, it gets taxed at the top marginal tax rate, which right now is 54%. So to Michelle's point, if it takes you a while to sell that piece of property, yeah. or you're holding out because of you know, emotional value, or you want to actually use it, or whatever the case maybe may be. Maybe do some renovations to maybe, it. Yeah. Or maybe there's renovations. like five family members who can't agree on how and much it sells. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jeff, you should probably see that quite a bit when you actually have to go sell a piece of property. Um, if I choose we, to take that on. Well, we, <laughs> and we see it quite often at the at the financial planning level. Yeah. Um, now you're in, in year four. Well, year four, that, that growth between the date of death, to Michelle's point, to the time that you've sold it, is now, it has grown. Mm-hmm. Statistically, it has grown. And you're getting taxed at 54% on yeah. all that growth. Well, do you have the money kicking around to pay for that? Because it's going to be a shell shock to a lot of the, you know, the four others who maybe held out for a proper price, and the next thing you know, 54% of their profits are gone. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it already is complicated. It's a capital gain. More often than not, it would be a capital gain. So you're at, right. you're truthfully at 27%. But, Brandon, you brought up right. a really good point. You raised the 36-month time frame for the graduated rate of state. Right. Here's, here's a disconnect between federal taxation, again, another piece of legislation, right. and comparing it to the laws of succession here in Ontario where an executor has to is held accountable for four years so in terms of you're putting them in a risk okay what do i have to do in the first 36 months to be tax efficient but yet i'm held on accountable or in terms of held on in terms of administering the state for four years it's something that a lot of lawyers and in terms of ontario individuals either acting as executors or appointed executors don't take into account it kind of puts them between a rock and a hard spot in certain situations no i mean and that and that's it, it it totally goes to i don't think people really we'll be recording another episode on the importance of a financial plan and, and you know doing it properly and listening yeah. because it's the financial right. and tax impact that that and then on top of that if you're an executor it, it i mean the pain can go on forever um, I mean, I have one currently. I have an estate currently that is that will be open for the next eight years. It's been open for two. It'll be open up for the next eight because of how this man structured his will and how he wants to pay it out. Yeah. Um, and 
it is what it is. And uh, so this executor is going to be on the hook for the next eight years on top of that, 10 years total. When you say how it's been structured, is it kind of like what you and I have discussed about having your kids so that they're going to get it at age 18 a little bit? 21 a little bit is it is so, it because of that it, or is it something well, different that so, we haven't discussed before no no it it, it is because of that it's, be, it's okay. payments however okay. he did it he did it in a way like looking at the will uh, you know in hindsight I, hindsight's always 2020 20. he didn't really get good advice if i was him i would have opened up a trust yep. right i would have opened up a, a, a trust and not used the um the estate as your trust which you legally can still do i mean the estate can still be that However, um, and it just, it, it works out good that the way that we sheltered everything, that the vast majority of any gain or interest gain or anything of that nature um, will, be, will be fine. Um, but I, if I was him, I would have put everything in into a, 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 you know, a testamentary trust and let the trust company deal with it, not the executor. Um, <clears throat> but now, because he didn't do that, he didn't go and get proper advice, I agree... I, I agree in principle now knowing the backstory on why he did what he did, but he just used the wrong vehicle for it. And now my client, who is also the executor who came to us for this advice, um, Henry, your former colleague, was, yeah. was very heavily involved in helping me with this. Okay. because it, and, and to Henry's estate, and to Henry's credit, Henry had his CEA designation, which right. is a certified executor advisor designation, and he said it was the one, one of the most complex wills he's ever encountered. Um, and so, you know, the, she's on the hook for the next eight years dealing with these people and their payments. So she's getting literally calls two weeks before the check is due. Uh, where's, my where's, my where's, my where's my check? 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 Whereas an, a, a trust company would be able to deal with all that. Sure. Right? Because that's what they charge the fees for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's really important that, you know, that does demonstrates and highlights the value of advice, right? And talking to financial advisors, because there are other options. Um, you know, a trust is an option, but the other, you know, within a, the insurance world, uh, there is something called the annuity settlement option or a legacy settlement option uh, that actually allows you to even, you know, potentially outline wishes such as your client um, through a segregated fund contract yep. um, that then allows the death benefit to bypass probate altogether uh, so the executor is not involved altogether, right? The money just pretty much, instead of a lump sum payment going into uh, the hands of a beneficiary, uh, you can actually designate through the use of something that we at SLGI call the legacy settlement option, you can outline your wishes of that inheritance being distributed to a beneficiary uh, via the purchase of an annuity. So rather than that child receiving a lump sum payout, um, they purchase an annuity, um, and the individual, so you know, the uncle, the father, the mother, uh, would outline how that annuity is to be structured so it's customizable. Uh, so you also, at that point, avoid the asset having to go to the estate and then to a trust. Uh, you avoid that process, and the annuity actually gets established um, with the inheritance that that individual would receive. Well, and, and it's funny because, like, you know, a lot of people are just ignorant on, on those types of different options that yeah. are available because a lot of people are like, all right, well, if I put a beneficiary on my RRSP, or maybe it's a RIF at that stage. Yeah. Okay, well, technically, because you put a beneficiary, a direct beneficiary on that, it, it, you, are not, you are not subject to probate because Correct. you put a beneficiary. But what a lot of people don't realize is that until that will has been given the seal of approval, you can't get that money. Mm -hmm. Like it right. can be, and if there's a, and if anyone contests that will at all, it can be held in purgatory for two years. We have wills in, in, in estates in, in purgatory for two years. Yeah. 
So it, it can be quite substantial, the impact that can have on, on, on finances. Michelle, you want to maybe uh, weigh in on that? Absolutely. Um, so what you're talking about, when you look at an individual here in Ontario and you look at their wealth transfer plan, particularly their estate plan, a lot of, like, you can have, there are multiple tools that are available to people living in Ontario. As you've touched on, there's wills. As you touched on, there's trusts. And as Ash has discussed, there's also, like, in terms of insurance contracts and particular um, wealth solutions that are available. And what you can have the best will in the world and you can bring in beneficiaries that in terms of emotion grief um, that don't feel that they've been fairly treated and it basically locks down the estate and leads to litigation and you've touched on brandon you touched on trust well trust also again it comes down to the power of drafting whether it was well drafted because trust again legal document you can pull different measures in they also are a great tool but recognize costs involved in terms of from not only drafting the trust but administering the trust having appropriate people as trustees and then i also view um segregated funds as also a will substitute as well for the appropriate assets and in terms, it kind of takes the emotion, it takes the administration through the estate off the table because, again, we're talking a contract. The contract is discussed with the wealth advisor, someone as yourself. It's all laid out, similar to any other legal document. You get the appropriate provisions that you want in place to deliver. And as an advisor, it really fundamentally comes down to what does the client want? And we then have the tools available to make appropriate recommendations to deliver what the client wants. And what I'm seeing, like in terms of given emotion, given the modern family dynamic, you know, given real-time administration, like if you've got grandma and grandpa who are helping out child with university tuition, or grandma and gra- or parents are helping out child with rent, you lock down those assets, and they don't have access to cash. Yep. All right. Yep. Emotions yep. tend to run faster. So I have looked at in terms of you can have, like I said, the best lawyer, the best drafting, but it does not take emotion out of the picture. And what can be done in certain circumstances, all right, is the SEG fund, all right, is the appropriate tool in that it's determined, it's a contract. That contract is settled it's upon the individual's passing and will deliver upon that contract. And often with, within receipt of the death certificate, it's paid out within – the planning is done within two weeks. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. Go through the will. Right. And, and on top of that – that. the emotion out. Yeah, well, yeah. and that's a really good point because on top of that, uh, for, it's – yeah, we cut a check within two weeks because it's an insurance vehicle. Yep. And then on top uh, – but a lot of people forget, too, wills are public documents. Absolutely. Anything that goes through your will is – a public document all yep. your neighbor has to do is pay a fee with the local municipality and basically register themselves yep. and they can turn around and see exactly what you gave you know uncle billy and your kids and your neighbor and oh your mistress you had one yeah. oh yeah well who's who's this other lady or who's this other man they have full access to that you have you have things go into a trust you have things go into a segregated fund bypasses the will it does not become public domain. Yeah. The second, uh, a final par- a 
part before we, we, we wrap this up, but we just had a case out in BC. This was going back maybe six months ago. Everyone thinks because they have a will, um, it's, it's secure. It's locked tight. This, this is on Michelle's point. Well, no, there's a case out in BC, and uh, I do not know what ethnic background they were. I, I don't know. Um, but they were a, a, back, a, a background. They had five, four or five children. I know two of them were female, and I believe the other two or three were, were male. They had this farmland, and it was about a 10 to $12 million estate. Okay. The father, who was the last one to pass away, um, left the vast majority of the estate to his sons. It was a cultural thing, yeah. whatever. However, welcome to Canada. That's not Patrimony, the way right. That, that's, not how, that's not what we do here. So what ended up happening was is people thought, oh, I've got a, I've got a will, so who cares? Uh, no, the, the, the daughters contested the estate, and I'm talking like they got 20% between the two of them, and the other 80% got yeah. split between the, the boys. Meanwhile, they proved <clears throat> to the judge out in BC, they're like, wait, wait a minute. No, no, no. Well, they sat on their butts... We actually took care of the farm. Uh, we took care of mom, took care of dad. We cleaned the house. We, they, they listed all the, the domestic things that they did. And the judge ended up agreeing, saying, you have been wrongfully um, and financially um, punished in this will. And he, turned, he overturned it. Now, the, the boys still got, I guess, the lion's share. Um, the majority, when you broke it down by gender, but when you broke it down by child, it, it, the, the variance was very, very little. Right. Um, and so it was quite interesting on how the judge ruled. And so if you don't do it properly and you don't, whereas a seg fund in that case, yep. if you just, if in your will it said liquidate the estate, put it all into seg fund number, da 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 da, da go see Brandon Curry, and then I just cut the checks, there is no recourse whatsoever. Right. Yeah. I mean, anything that goes through the estate can be uh, can be contested. Right. And so it's important. You know, the more complicated a family situation is, uh, the evolution of the families become that much more dynamic. There's individuals who are on their second, third, fourth marriage, children outside of wedlock. Um, you know, the more complicated an estate, the the more open it is to being contested. And so, you know, it's really important to look for uh, opportunities or strategies that help to settle an estate with more control, because a lot of people want control, um, and to ensure that you know the role of the executor is minimized as much as possible and that really comes down to working with your financial advisor right so again once the, just the importance of listening to your financial advisor which will probably be future episodes <laughs> um thank you very very much uh ashif and michelle you there still oh yeah oh thanks. perfect thank you very much for calling in no, and coming thank down you for having us. um we really appreciate it. we'd love to have you guys back absolutely um, and even if we hit, we go on the road, we wouldn't mind, uh, maybe doing a couple episodes from SLGI headquarters. Up yeah, in, absolutely. Up in, this up was my Toronto. first podcast. It was fun. I'd love to do it again. Oh, we'd sure. love to have. I don't know if Brandon if Ash told you, but I'm actually from Niagara. Oh, you so are? You are. Coming back. Yes, I am. Well, there we go. Well, then we, we, we got to have you back. We got to have you come back down. Um, we love it. Well, thank you very much, thank everybody. You. We really appreciated it. Uh, Trevor, how can they share and care? On all major platforms. We are on we don't, all major yeah, platforms. Yeah, we don't need to get into all the details, do we? No, well, if Jeff was here, he'd say Apple TV or something you, stupid No, like he's that. gone away from he's the Apple TV. No, yeah, right. He's more uh, uh, Google now. Well, I think he's Google he's Home Google, is where, he, home yeah, where right. he listens yeah, to, he it. to it. Yeah. All right, thanks, everybody. Uh, take care. Perfect.
Thanks. Have a great day. Keep warm and safe, everyone. Thank you. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.